When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The fantasy football season has come to an end, but this is the perfect time to take your sports viewing experience to the next level. Epson, just hook your boy up with this new Epic Vision Ultra LS800 laser projector, including their optional 120-inch silver flex screen. And I'm telling you right now, this is an absolute game changer. With an epic 120-inch picture, it's twice the size of an 85-inch TV. I should know I had one of those in my old setup. And y'all know I love scouting prospects for the NFL draft. And with that 4K Pro UHD picture this big, it can take the way that I evaluate prospect game film to a level never seen before. To learn more, visit Epson.com forward slash wake up. Again, that's EPSON.com forward slash wake up. And like Epson says, bring the sportsbook experience home. It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. Welcome, everybody. Another episode of Destination Dynasty. I am finally back, as my co-host on America's Game would say, uh, Scott's a destination. We're finally here. First live episode on YouTube, I think in five weeks, six weeks. It's been a little while. Uh, I've done a lot of content since then, a lot of podcast appearances, a lot of Destination Dynasty shows, some collaboration. Stay tuned. We'll talk a little bit about what's coming up on Destination Dynasty as we get towards the end of the show. Uh, tonight's topic or theme is going to be startups. Uh, I did a couple episodes recently on startup strategies. Uh, looks like we have the chat booming with some startup questions. Got a couple at the beginning. I definitely want to get to those. Uh, shout out to everybody that's here. I saw a bunch of people already saying what's up in the chat. Eric, one of the first comments, he had to throw it in there. What's up, E? How's it going? Uh, talk to me offline. I got something I want to tell you about America's game. Appreciate you being here to support me. Bunch of others I see from the Discord that I've seen on Wake Up before. Cold World TDE. How's everyone doing tonight? First league with Cold World. He joined one of our orphans. Uh, now he's in the US FFL 3. So shout out to Cold World. Dynasty Barry says, what's up to Cole? What's up, Dynasty Barry? Good stuff. Facilitator of our ADP over at Destination Devi. 
And a bunch of others in the chat. Mr. Chase, happy Sunday. Yeah, man. Glad to see you here. Check out the Dynasty Draft Room. They have their own channel on YouTube. Check that out. Chase and Cody do some good stuff over there. Um, I've learned a lot from both of them by participating in the uh, Heisman Discord and the voice chats. So I love those guys. Shout out to both of you guys. And let's get into it. So tonight, I wanted to address a couple things. I did get a super chat at the beginning of the show that I want to knock out. And it's actually going to kind of go into one of the things that I talked about last week. Uh, so I'm just going to get right to it, actually. We'll do that first because I think it'll lead into some other topics and continue to engage in the chat. We'll probably go for 45 minutes tonight. I say that, and usually when, when I say that, it ends up going longer. But I'm going to try for 45 minutes. Uh, I have something I got to do around 9 o'clock. So we'll shoot for 45 minutes just talking startup, follow-up. It doesn't have to necessarily be startup stuff, though. If you have other questions, uh, anything that you might normally ask on uh, Dynasty Trades in 5, I'm happy to answer that as well. Uh, but here was the initial question from Simon, and I want to put this up there because I think it is important thing to talk about. And it's not just for the reason that he asked it, but I think it applies to just the overall broad idea of why you might do something like this in a startup. So appreciate it was a super chat. Appreciate you putting that up there, Simon. Thank you very much. Uh, but here was his question. It was why is stacking wide receiver and tight end with a QB a net positive? I can see higher highs and lower lows, but don't understand why that's good. So the way I referenced, and I'll keep the question up there while I'm giving the answer just for a couple seconds, but why I referenced this in the startup episode and why I've talked about it numerous times in the past is we're always looking for trends when it comes to player results, when it comes to ADP values, we're always looking for trends. And I think the biggest thing that you want to take away from this is not just necessarily the stacking part, but it's the idea of this is another one of those examples where let's say, for instance, I am in a startup draft and it is a 1.75 tight end premium. So go back to the show that I did last weekend and talked about how in 1.75, I probably want to have a top eight tight end. I took Friar Muth in that mock exercise that I went through, but you don't always get that. And I talked about on the original roster construction series, talking about the flex viability of a tight end in 1.75. You can flex them. You can flex them at least up to like the top 12, top 15 or so. You can flex those guys if you have two of them. So it's not a bad idea if you're to take two top 10 tight ends, let's say. Two top 10, two top 12 tight ends in a 1.75 startup. Now it's only start one, but in theory you can get flex viability up to say tight end 12, tight end 13 maybe up to tight end 15. Now, the idea of doing that is not just getting a flex, but it's also crowding out one of the teams that's ahead of you that might have a positional advantage at tight end. That's the biggest thing, is it's not just giving you an extra flex, because you can find a flex via a running back, you can find a flex via a receiver, but by taking that second tight end, part of what you're doing is creating even more scarcity, because there's only so many tight ends to go around, right? Like there's only so many tight ends to go around. So if I have two of the top 12 now, that is one less available for somebody to match the one that I have. Forget about the fact that if there's an injury, tight ends get injured a decent amount. And if there's bye weeks, I have a couple extra weeks filled there. But adding to that, I've now kind of crowded out the scarce position at my at the spot that I took a high pick on. So let's say I draft a top five tight end. Why would I consider taking a second one? Because I don't technically need that. 
but let's say tight end nine falls to me. And I go, you know what? If I'm looking at this as a flex, there's a little extra value for me here to take the tight end nine. Cause now I have bye weeks covered injuries covered in terms of trying to at least maintain some level of positional advantage, but I've also eliminated one of the other choices off the board from my opponents taking one of those guys and be able to match. Like they could take my tight end. They can match my tight end five with the tight end nine that they draft. So the answer to the original question about stacking is why would you want to do that? Well, it's twofold. So I'm going to share my screen here so everyone can see this. This is from a fantasy football, this art, fantasy footballers article uh, back from 2021. So right before the 2021 season. And it talked about where stacking has the most correlation in terms of DFS. Now, you might be thinking, okay, how does this apply to me in the dynasty startup? But I'll just share it. You can search the article, search fantasy footballers, DFS stacking principles, uh, and it pulls a bunch of fantasy labs data, but it still is relevant today. So I'm going to share it so you guys can see it in here. There, so you see it on the screen. And essentially what this is saying is, and the reason I compared this to dynasty startups is you're creating a team for the first time, right? And a DFS game, in theory, if you're looking at DFS data, it's week to week. You're trying to win a matchup. Now, this is specific to just DFS in general, but if you read about you know, the viability of stacking, there's been a bunch of different articles talking about the difference between stacking in, say, like a GPP pool where you're going up against a ton of other people. You want to have higher upside, but you also want to differentiate yourself by having a different team build. That doesn't apply in a dynasty league as much because there's only 12 teams. So really, you're not having to beat a field of 2,000 people, 4,000 people. That doesn't matter. So a lot of those like really, really zig or zag strategies don't necessarily apply as much in a dynasty league. But in terms of the head-to-head -head part, so you're talking about a cash game or you're talking about like a really, really small field, like you're playing you know, a three-person head-to-head matchup in DFS. That's going to apply. That's kind of like Dynasty because most of our Dynasty leagues, we're either playing against the fields or playing against like the median every single week, or we're playing against just a head-to-head -head opponent. Sometimes you're playing double headers, but you want to win week to week. And that was the original question was, how does this apply? Yes, there are higher highs and yes, there are lower lows, but why would you want that? So this is the first reason. If you look at the correlation on this chart, so over on the left, you have the QBs. That's the position that it's being compared to. And then up top, you have the position that it's correlated with. And if you can see, what has the highest correlation with quarterbacks? Because obviously we're talking about stacking your quarterbacks because in Superflex, you can start two. So that's the thing is this data is actually heightened even more because you can start two quarterbacks. So that's why I talked about tight ends are hard to come by. But if you start your Superflex draft with, let's say, Trevor Lawrence, Josh Allen, right? Those are two guys that have tight ends that are technically outside like the top eight-ish. But you could understand why you would want to stack looking at this data. You know, where would it be the most prevalent for you to stack if you had Josh Allen and Trevor Lawrence? Now, this is assuming this is like a start 11 or a start 12 to where, you know, there is some flex viability with the tight ends. If you're talking like a start eight, start nine, then some of this stuff goes away because the starters aren't as much. But here, if you look at this, so you look at the quarterbacks, then you look up top and you see what's the highest correlation with the quarterbacks. Now, this was pulled from data that it looks like only starts two receivers, but you can see that the highest correlation is actually at the wide receiver one, the wide receiver two spot, and then the tight end spot. 
So you have some decent correlation there. And what is the biggest thing that we can look at this data and say, okay, that makes sense to be that the highest correlation is going to be quarterbacks with receivers and with tight ends, obviously not with our running backs as much. You could see that because the quarterback is obviously throwing the ball to the receiver so that they can score points. But looking at this from a dynasty lens, what is also true about tight end, low end tight end ones, high end tight end twos, wide receiver twos, wide receiver threes, wide receiver floors. We also know in dynasty, those are in very flat value ranges. And that's the biggest thing because you can essentially pick equal players. And I'm going to link the article in the chat for everybody. So you can look at this if you would like. But basically what you can do is you can take advantage of the fact that if I'm picking a wide receiver three, or if I'm picking a low end tight end one, why would I not want to stack that position when I already know that in dynasty, that is a really, really, really flat range already. You know, what is the difference between the wide receiver 20 and the wide receiver 30? What is the difference between the tight end 10 and the tight end 15? And when you look at that, you go, okay, well, there's not much difference in those players. There's not much difference in the distribution of points. Go back and look at the distribution of points. I covered all of that on the very first segment or the very first series that I did uh, on this show back in during the 2022 season. But there's really not a big drop-off when you're in that range. I believe wide receivers, it was like between wide receiver 9 and 22 historically. It was very flat. You want those guys. You want as many of them as you can get, but it's very flat. And then after that, it really flattens off when you get into the wide receiver threes and wide receiver floors. And if your league is deep enough to where you have to flex four players, three players, or maybe you have to start two tight ends, or maybe it's the premium where the tight ends have viability in the flexes. That's where you're looking at going, okay, I'm not really getting an advantage if I'm picking the players. What I'm getting the advantage here is I have a higher upside week to week in a week-to-week game. I don't care about the floor. And that goes all the way back to Simon's initial question, which was this, and I'll share the original question again. Why is stacking wide receiver and tight end with the QB and net positive? The reason is because you're not really paying anything more for the wide receiver 30 than you are the wide receiver 20. In theory, right? Like distribution-wise, you're not paying too much difference in terms of how they're impacting your scoring from a week-to-week or even a season-long basis. But you are getting higher upside. You can see this correlation data. You're getting higher upside, and that's all I care about. I don't care about any sort of downside. If I lose my matchup by 20 points versus I lose my matchup by 10 points, it doesn't matter. I still lost. So it's just a hack. It's not something that I think is going to be true forever, but with where the positions are distributed right now, I would much rather stack. And for me, and this is just my strategy that's worked anecdotally, and it is backed on with some data, is that, I've had good luck stacking when you have those specific wide receivers that are right on the flex range. So we're talking like right, right on the flex range. So let's say the threshold is the top 50. You probably want to focus on stacking those receivers that are inside that like wide receiver 30 to 50 range. You don't want to have too many of them, but sometimes it's inevitable in a startup when you go, okay, you know what? I have to roster a couple of these guys to meet my roster construction requirements. I want to have a couple of those guys. That's where I want to stack. That spot is where I want to stack. And typically it's really, really easy to stack there. You know, it's really easy to go, okay, I prefer Joshua Palmer to Kadarius Tony. And you might go, well, Kadarius Tony has a higher ADP or Kadarius Tony has a little more value. That's not how I play. When I'm building a team, I'm looking for very, very specific things like that and go, okay, if I have Justin Herbert 
if I'm going to have to roster a receiver in this range or a tight end in this range, that's where I want to stack. That's where the most beneficial places to stack are. And obviously the deeper the league, the even more beneficial it is in best ball. You can do it multiple times. I mean, how often do we hear during people talking about best ball drafts where there are no waivers, you're literally just trying to shoot for a couple outcomes that correlate your entire roster. And it's the same in dynasty. Now it's different because you can trade, you know, you can drop players to waivers. You can add players to waivers. There's rookie drafts. It lasts more than a season. So that's the other thing is you don't want to just stack everything and then go, oops, two years from now, none of those stacks will exist because players have either moved on or they've been dumped on death charts. Like that's one of the risks that you take when you're just adding a bunch of tight ends and receivers here. But just think about the reasoning behind it. And it's not a bad idea to round out your roster in these spots with stacked players. So stacking at the end of the flex range, stacking a tight end platoon uh, doesn't really matter. You know who the players are, as long as they're in that like drop off dead zone repaint period in the tight end position or the wide receiver position, that's where you want to attack it. Especially if you have two quarterbacks, if you're in 1.75 or two PPR, I know a lot of listeners play in that format. You can flex the tight ends pretty regularly, right? Like up to the top. I think in the two PPR, you're up to like tight end 18 ish. Historically is a viable flex. If you have two quarterbacks, if you have Josh Allen and Trevor Lawrence, you probably want to get both Dawson Knox and Evan Ingram, assuming Evan Ingram is back with Jacksonville because both of them are within the flex range, but both of them actually make sense from the stacking perspective because they're both in that dead zone range too, where all your flexes are going to be found. And they're basically all the same cost and they're all the same value. So I wanted to share that. That was a good question that was asked um, at the very beginning by Simon. I appreciate that, Simon. Appreciate the super chat. Uh, if there's any other questions about that, touch me, hit me up offline. Um, I've gotten a couple additional questions similar to that, but uh, this one just came out on the chat. So thank you, Simon, for that super chat. Uh, had a couple others in here as well. Uh, Fly Meatwad put a similar question up uh, talking about stacking in best ball. Uh, says if he doesn't have a top tier tight end because of how bad the position is, most of his Watson teams have David and Joku. That, that's exactly it. And I think at tight end that, the high-end producers or the difference makers are so slim. I mean, go back, look at the warp data that we've had posted uh, in a couple different places over on DD. It, yeah, the, the warp drops off to where once you're down to like tight end three or four, it's starting to become really, really flat. So why wouldn't you stack? If you have Njoku, why wouldn't you stack him with Watson? Or more importantly, if you have Watson, why would you prioritize another tight end in the same range over David Njoku? I think that's the thing. If you have Watson or Trevor Lawrence, you should have Evan Ingram or David Njoku on that team. It shouldn't be one or the other. Go trade one for the other. And I think the problem is people get too attached. And this is why I think I play a little bit differently than a lot of people because I'm, I have zero attachment to players. I have attachment to archetypes or player prototypes. So you might say, well, yeah, you're, you're way too attached to like elite QBs. I'm way too attached to elite QBs. I don't care who the name is. But I don't have attachment to players like in the David Njoku, Evan Ingram range. So literally the answer to who should I prefer, or who should I take, or what should I trade for, it's the one where I can potentially find a hack like this stacking question. So good question on Fly Meet One that uh, posted that one because that's exactly what we were talking about. Uh, just a little bit of a higher end example. And then I'm going to do a lot of more best ball content coming up. I want to do the whole roster construction series over again. Uh, shout out to Adam and Mike uh, over at 4D Chess. We're going to actually collaborate uh, and that's going to be something we're going to be coming up uh, doing in the future. It's going to be in the works. Not sure exactly when the first one's going to come out, uh, but we're going to do the entire series 
Uh, we're going to collaborate and talk about it from a best ball perspective. So a lot of it's the same, but there are some nuances that are different. The stacking stuff is a little bit different. And obviously the roster construction, what types of players you're looking for uh, are also different. So appreciate fly Meatwad for the question. Uh, a few others on here. The comment that we got about the math. Um, I mentioned in the startup show, the math, the math, the math. Tom asked this question. Uh, you've often heard me refer to the math of shallow leagues compared to deep leagues. Can you explain this a little more detail? So Tom, of course. So I did the original roster construction series and it was based on a 12 team start 10 super flex league. And I laid out exactly how many roster spots there are. I gave different examples of like what the tight end premium might be and how that changes your roster construction. But that's essentially what it is. It's really taking a high level view. And if you're in the discord, you'll get access to the scoring matrix. I'm actually working on revamping the scoring matrix, trying some different things with it, but you've heard me refer to the scoring matrix before. And if you haven't, basically what it is, you're just plugging in the data from your league. You're looking at the scoring and you're just trying to figure out trends. You're trying to figure out, you know, what is the spots where maybe the replacement value is a little bit higher at this position or that position. And that's the math. It's really trying to come up with what is my roster construction, which that's what I've talked about on the last couple shows and in the roster construction series. How many quarterbacks, how many running backs, how many receivers, how many tight ends? What is ideal for this scoring, for these settings? Like what is the range I'm trying to get to? But oftentimes you're not always there, right? Like you're not there perfectly. That reminds me of another question that I got about what happens if my roster construction isn't perfect out of the startup? That's okay. That's okay. Just understanding where you want to be and what is optimal. It doesn't mean you always need to be there. Sometimes you don't get there because the league doesn't let you. The league values something so extreme that you don't want to necessarily get to that roster construction because you're literally leaving some value on the table. So you have to keep that in mind. But at least when I'm doing my initial setup, and Ray and I talked about this on the episode we did a couple weeks ago, I'm doing all this prep. I'm going into it going, okay, this is probably where I want my roster construction to be. But then the draft starts. And once the draft starts, it's like, well, now I'm subject to a board of what 11 other players are doing, the trades they're making, the players they're picking. So I can't just go, well, I have to hit this roster construction and I have to do it in this round, this round, this round, this round, this round. It's an aggregate. And part of the strategy from last week is understanding the math, but not being obsessed with having to get there right away. That's why you make those trade back trades where you pick up some extra picks. That's why you try to pick up an extra first, a couple extra first, an extra second. Even if you trade up to start, you trade back to give yourself more outs. And that'll lead to another question that we have here in just a second. But I think that's the idea of the math. The math isn't necessarily super complicated. It's not something that you can't just eyeball and figure out. If you have access to the matrix, you can plug it in for in 10, 15 minutes and just get a snapshot of kind of like, okay, this is where this league's scoring distribution is. This is kind of how I'm going to approach roster construction. But then you also have to know ADP. I mean, this is one of the things that I keep myself sharp on by doing like trades in five is I'm constantly in tune with the market, constantly in tune with what's going on on Twitter, what the trends are on certain players. I listen to a ton of content, 30, 40 hours a day sometimes of, of, of dynasty fantasy podcasts. And it's not as much during the off season. I'm focusing more on NFL draft and NFL, actual NFL stuff, but I'm trying to just constantly have data in my mind going, okay, let me think about this. Let me think about that. And then just interacting with people, interacting with people in the discord, interacting with people 
in our group me in our dynasty and chill patreon playing in 50 leagues of my own like i feel like i have a pretty good pulse of the market and you kind of have to know that and maybe it's easier for me to say that versus somebody that's just joining you know their second league or something but there's a lot of aggregated data out there to go okay i can find somewhere just use keep trade cut it's not perfect but at least you have something so you're taking that math. I know what the math should be. I kind of know what these variables should end up being. But now I have a league of a bunch of values, a bunch of players, positional values. And that shifts as you're in your startup. So I think it's just understanding, like generally, what is the value of a bench player in this league? What is the value of a roster spot in this league? What is the value of the 10th running back on my team in a league where you can only carry 21 players? I got an FFPC question the other day. It's 20-man rosters in FFPC. It cuts down to 16. So what is the value of the backup running back that has some talent in the FFPC? It's not as high as a league where it's 30-man rosters. And that's just quite simple because the people stashing those types of players, they can't hold them all. So you're actually more likely to find that type of player on the waiver wire. It erodes the talent pool that is on people's rosters and it frees up more talent that's on the waiver wire. Deeper leagues, what can you typically not find on the waiver wire in deeper leagues? We're talking 30 plus man rosters. Most of the time, you're wide receivers that you want to flex. That's where we talk about the roster cloggers. Are you going to find one, two, three, you know, maybe like half a dozen or season might emerge to where it's like, okay, I picked up Ben Skoranek or I picked up Khalif Raymond. Like that type, you might be able to pick up and get a spot start or two out of. Remember Chris Moore from last year, but generally you don't want to roster guys like that simply for that reason, that there might be half a dozen that emerge, but there's still not players in a start 10 or a start 11 that you go, okay, I know when I'm going to start this guy. And they have no trade value because they're amongst a pool of players where there's 50 of them. So why is there any trade value attached to them? There rarely is. So in talking from a deeper league, yeah, the roster value of a running back or a quarterback is going to be much more direct than one of those receivers. So it's just kind of understanding that type of thing. That's what I mean by when I mentioned the math. Uh, but a lot of times it's just figuring out, okay, what is the value of a roster spot here? If I do a trade where it's two for one and it's only 24 man rosters, but there's 11 starters. And I'm, I know I'm throwing out just random numbers, but let's just say 24 man rosters, 11 starters. There's a lot of value if you trade away two for one. Right, you trade back two. You trade away two assets. You get back one. You're also getting whatever you do with that roster spot that you just freed up. If you trade a player for a player and a pick, so the old eighty forty, right? I trade this running back for another running back and a third. You've lost nothing. You've literally replaced a placeholder roster spot with one player and the other, but you've given yourself an extra pick that doesn't cost you a roster spot. So even though it's a two for one, it's really a one for one. Because you can stash that pick away. It doesn't cost you anything. I've never seen a league where you have to limit the number of picks that you have. It can be 24-man rosters. You could, in theory, have 25 draft picks. Now, you're not going to be able to make them all. But in theory, you could have them. So it's this constant exploiting everybody else on the math, too. Because it works the other way in shallow leagues. How can I get people to give me one asset for two? In a shallow league, I may not want to get the two assets. So that's what I mean by with the math. Uh, any follow-up questions on that, Tom? Appreciate it, but uh, thank you for the question. Uh, this was another one from Dr. B. Harris. Shout out to Dr. B. Harris. Uh, met him over on the South Harmon uh, Discord. 
Dr. B. Harris, a solid question. Do you attack startups differently in February versus August? I feel like it's for vets in off season. I feel like value is for vets in the off season. That would be a great time to decide to be a contender in February drafts. Yeah, I mean, I talked about this at the beginning of the show last week, and I think we seem to come to this discussion a lot when we're talking about what's going on right now, right? It's February. We're a week from the Combine. We are two weeks from free agency. We are two months from the NFL draft. And the reality is we still have a bunch of NFL deadlines between now and then as well. So you have the franchise tag deadlines. You have OTAs and mini camps after the draft. Then you have preseason. Then you have training camp. Like there is a lot of movement that's going to happen. And what does all of that mean? When I see an entire NFL calendar in front of me before I'm actually doing a startup draft, more variance, more uncertainty. So I think this is actually the time to do a startup and not think you're going to contend. Actually build your team. And that's part of the reason why I released the episode last week, last week, because I don't necessarily think I'd want to take that approach August 30th two weeks before the NFL season is in full force. I'm, I don't have as big of an edge. A lot of those picks where I'm going, I don't care about picking in round five versus round nine, round four versus round eight, round six versus round 11. I mean, I essentially said that last week because there's a higher chance that I'm making those picks today and they end up much closer to equal than probably what they'll be in August. August 30th, there's going to be a lot more efficiency. There's going to be a lot more data known. Probably 90% of what we're trying to project is already going to be pretty accurately projectable a week or two before the season. Now, that doesn't mean you can't build a team like that, but just understand there's not going to be just the natural inefficiency with a lot of those picks. And that's part of what you're banking on when you're doing this strategy in February is you're banking on inefficiency, which is why I don't want to go into the startup draft going, I'm trying to contend but I want to build my team in a way to where I can contend if some of the variance goes my way. And some of the variance is going to expose itself between now and August. You don't even have to wait for the season. There's going to be players that you pick that looks like they have a runway to a great situation. There's going to be players that you pick that their value or their opportunity gets destroyed before the season even gets here. But the point is nobody really knows. So that's where I'm going to embrace the fact that, okay, I'm going to trade back. You're going to give me a first and I'm only going to move back five rounds in the startup. And we're both going to probably end up picking a wide receiver or you're going to pick something because you need it versus I'm just going to pick something because it's the best value. And I think that's where you take advantage of the fact that you have seven months before it matters. The other person still has seven months, but they don't have the outs. They've traded away their future picks. They don't necessarily have the roster construction that they want. They have clear holes in their roster construction. Maybe not the players, but they have clear holes. And that's one of the reasons why I'm like, I'm trying to hit the roster construction if I can, especially around the quarterbacks. I don't want to go into the season going, I need a quarterback. I don't have my future picks. That's a real easy way to go to, you're not going to contend. At least the way that I'm trying to build now is... I want to have a team where it's a live contender. But if I don't contend, I can easily go, you know what? Week eight, it's not working out. I'm going to pivot the other way. Boom. I'll just play for 2024. But I can go both ways. So not only did I build the team with the construction that I wanted, I can easily go both ways once the season gets here. And a lot of people can't do that if they trade away their future picks, especially. So Dr. B. Harris, appreciate the question. Thank you for that. Uh, Sam. 
Sam did a 1999 super chat and I didn't see a question on there, Sam. I know you've asked many questions in the past. Uh, so if you have one that you want to fire up, let me know. I'll certainly get to it before the end of the show. Uh, but otherwise just let me know. Appreciate the super chat. Thank you very much. Uh, I know Sam's new to the discord, uh, joined a little while, a while back and, um, has been hanging out for a while. So thank you for that. And, uh, thank you for the generosity with the super chat tonight. A couple other questions down the uh, pike before I go back to the chat and we'll close it out with uh, maybe three, five minutes of uh, a closing topic that I wanted to hit. Uh, Jason asked, how often do random leagues generally last? Uh, in the comments, anybody have any thoughts on this? I would say when I go into a league, I expect it to last five years. Uh, and some of them, I'm in some leagues that are on seven, eight years at this point. Uh, Eric and I commission a couple of leagues that have been going on since 2018, 2017. So we're getting up there, you know, five years or six years at this point. And, you know, I think the the biggest thing that I've learned from doing that and being in some leagues that I commission that have lasted that long is you got to be flexible. Uh, you have to have a way to make decisions without needing everybody to agree. So you have to have something in your bylaws that talks about the commissioner can make a decision for the best of the league. And also understand that if a couple people get pissed and they don't like it, sometimes you have to move on. You know, having a dispersal where there is maybe a an angry owner or a disengaged owner that ends up leaving is better. You know, especially when you have a, a, a big network of people that you can pull from. You know, we have so many people that listen to the show and just want to get in leagues with us, right? And there's times where we've raised some extra money by allowing people to throw their teams into a dispersal draft. So that's one thing that you can do if you want to keep a league long or going on a little bit longer. Allow teams, and if you want to do it every year, every other year, whatever, allow them to throw their team into a dispersal pool every year, every other year, but they have to pay a tax. They have to pay 25% of the buy-in, 50% of the buy-in, something like that. And make them, make them decide if they want to do that blindly. You know, don't tell everybody, okay, all these teams are going to be in the pool. You can throw your team in or you don't have to throw your team in. But have them pay a tax and just put that money towards essentially like the league fund. And maybe have it written in the bylaws to where if there's ever a reason that the league were to fold or end, any money remaining in the pot would be distributed to essentially whoever won the league last. They would get it based on the same prorated data that you're the prorated payments that you would give to the first place, the second place, the third place, most points, best record, whatever it is. You have to have a way to disperse any money that's sitting there. But in the meantime, why not use it to help fill orphans? Use it to help fill dispersal drafts. Sometimes there are teams where someone throws their team in and it's terrible or worse. They leave and their team gets thrown into the dispersal draft and then it's bad and it dilutes the whole pool. So being able to say, you know what? Okay. We're going to offer this team for free or we're going to offer this team for half off or you know what? Somebody's going to be able to use the, the three or four extra dispersal buy-ins to fill the void of the one bad team that got thrown in the pool. So I think that can help extend leagues, but you got to be flexible. That's the biggest thing. You can't be rigid. You can't be a dictator. You have to be essentially just a participant in the league. Things have to be fair, but you have to have a solution that, you know what, regular dynasty leagues, I think probably around like 25% turnover. At least that's what I've noticed this year. Out of 12 team leagues, two or three people leave pretty much every league. And it's sometimes it's just for mundane reasons. Like, you know what, I'm, I just don't like this league anymore. Or something in life happens, they can't play. And it feels like sometimes the, the teams that leave are not bad teams. Maybe they don't really like their team, but they just have to leave. I mean, I've had a couple leagues where a great team leaves. And you know what? If I have multiple openings, 
that team's going into the dispersal. And we're going to look at our options to get new people in. I think people like dispersal drafts. They like to do drafts in general. So sometimes it just evens out. But you have to have a way to continue the league. And I've had, I think, three leagues fold this summer. Or not this summer, but this offseason. And the majority of those were all people that they were just done with the league. Like they were just done with the league, right? They, they didn't want to be in it anymore. And four or five, six people felt that way. What's the point at that point? You know, what's the point of continuing the league? If literally half the managers are going, you know what? I'm considering leaving. Maybe I won't leave because he won't leave or she won't leave. So we all just stay and continue to play. But if it becomes obvious that people are just done with the league and it's time for it just to be done and it's run its course, end it, end it, take the people that you want, reach out to the people that were in the league. Maybe you start a new league or maybe you do some sort of reboot, but like give yourself options. I think that's the biggest thing. I wouldn't expect a league to last five or more years. There's things you can do as a commissioner and as a league member to help it last that long. But the reality is, yeah, you're not going to probably have leagues that last two decades. So I think that's something important to discuss that doesn't really get talked about when we're doing analysis. Uh, and I think everyone that talks about playing in a two to three year window is correct because you, you just simply can't predict the future, especially not five years down the road. So appreciate that question. I already shared a couple of these comments. Dynasty Barry threw a question in there, so I'm going to get to that. Here you go. What up, Barry? Scott, talk to us about how you handle auction startups and how your process may differ versus a snake. What do you do to determine player values and how do you adjust as the auction proceeds? Man, so I'm going to be honest. I've done a lot of auctions. We've done all the USFFL leagues. Those are auctions. But I will say my process of doing an auction is not nearly as refined. And that's probably hurting me a little bit. I have not sat down and actually built an auction model that I feel comfortable using. I've done a couple in the past where I've literally like modeled out what I'm going to pay. I've tried to correlate ADP value versus auction dollar value. The problem is an auction is a dynamic market. It's constantly changing. Day one can lead into day two, which can lead into day three. And then you look back after day 10 and you go, well, none of those prices make sense. Players that were auctioned off on day six are higher than a similar player that was auctioned off on day three. But then the prices took a drastic turn down, but it really had nothing to do with the player. It was all about the timing. It was all about the timing of when the player came on the board. So I think that's the biggest thing, Barry. It's not even about the players versus the dollars. You know it because you've been in some USFFL leagues. I think everybody that's participated in those would probably tell you all of them were different. So yeah, you could look back at the first one and go, okay, I'm going to prepare with this to the second one by using the first one's data. And then you get into the second one and you go, well, this is different. This is different. There's some slight settings that are different here. The scoring is a little different here. I can't really use that. Because then it comes down to when are the players being put up on the board? You know, in that auction specifically, there's a limited number of players that go up at once. There's a certain amount of time that goes by and then the players are gone. And then there's more players that go up. So I think that's where, and if anybody out there has the ability uh, to put this into something usable, like if we can come up with a tool, and when I say tool for auctions, I don't want a tool that measures what a player should go for. To me, that's useless. That's absolutely useless because you have to base that on some sort of cookie cutter form of league, and we're not probably playing in a lot of those. So right away, it's out the window. You know, like Who cares what this player should go for? 
percentage wise. Because how does that change if it's 0.25 point per carry, start two tight ends, start 13 best ball with boosted quarterback scoring? It, it, you can't adjust it. It's way too much. Then it's irrelevant. Whatever data you're using is irrelevant. What I think the way to approach this would be, what I'm envisioning in my head is it comes down to like if you just took each player as, a, I don't even want to say a value because it's really not a value, but they're a placeholder, right? So player 73 in this ADP list would be in the same range as player 74, 75, 76, right? You have to have a way to kind of tier or rank the players. But most importantly is when you take that, what is the budget? How many teams? Can you trade auction dollars? Are there any limits in terms of bidding? The USFFL leagues, for instance, you can only bid on two players at once. There's only 12 players on the board at once. So those two dynamics right there change the strategy. And then you get into specifics of how the auction's being run. Is it by position? Is it by ADP? How many per day? What is the clock? You know, can you trade auction dollars is a huge one. If you can trade auction dollars, you can't strategize for an auction. You literally can't. You literally would have to have something that's updating in real time based on, okay, this is the current market. This is a player that's in this tier. This is what they should go for based on this current market. But then if the high stack trades for double the the auction dollars, how does that change? Because you're usually bidding up against a couple different people in an auction. So that's my answer, Barry. I know it's not great, but honestly, I would say it's more gut feel. It's more of, this is what I want to do here. This is the room that I'm playing with. A lot of those leagues that we're doing with the USFFLs, I know who I'm playing with. I know probably how they're going to try to build. Uh, maybe I know some players they might like or don't like. Like, What is the overarching theme of what this league is going to be about? And then it's still trying to hit my roster construction based on the scoring matrix. And sometimes it's harder to do. It's really hard to budget that out from the beginning, as you know. But good question. Uh, one that I think I should dive into a little bit more in the future. I just, I don't think I really have a great process at this point. So apologize for that. Don't have the answer to that for sure. Uh, next one, we had a super chat from Avatar. Appreciate you, bro. Uh, 1999 super chat. Thank you very much. Scott, when you're employing a productive struggle strategy, say you trade your two, three, and four, you land your two top nine QBs. And from that point, your league mates will not trade their 24 first for your fifth round plus picks. How to adjust. Yeah, man, I didn't address that last week because that was something that's a little fearful, right? When you go into the startup with that strategy, you immediately trade away your two, three, and four to get two elite quarterbacks, but then you can't get those deals where you trade back, right? You can't get those deals where you can get the 24 first and a 10th rounder for your fifth. You can't get a 24 first and an 11th rounder for your sixth. Yeah, I don't even really care what ranges. If I can do those deals, even if it's, Fifth for 10th, sixth for 11th, seventh for 12th, whatever. Even if I can only get two, even if it's fifth for 11th, sixth for 12th, that's like the extreme of how far down you'd want to go. I would still do it regardless of the players. If it's a start 11, I would still do it to up to basically whatever round my starters go to. So even if it's one round past, you can go to the 12th or so uh, if it's start 11. But what happens if you can't do that? And the reason I would just do it without caring where those picks were is for exactly what I talked about earlier. It's February. It's the process. There's a lot we don't know. I'm still getting that leverage by getting that future first banked. A lot of times what you'll see is the players people are picking in that round five, round six range are not players you can easily transact on the market for a first anyway. So the fact they're giving you a first and they're giving you another shot, even if I've now pivoted from drafting Jerry Judy and I get Josh Palmer, 
reality is somebody like Jerry Judy probably isn't even worth a first to begin with. Or at least you can't just say, okay, I have Jerry Judy. Let me go turn him into a first here. You can do that, but you're also getting to pick Josh Palmer. You're also getting to pick whatever receiver or whatever tight end or whatever running back you're taking. So that's the leverage point. Now, just to answer your question, it makes it a lot tougher, right? Because you can't rely on the future first, which part of the strategy is, okay, let's say I'm doing this and I don't pick right at some of the receivers that I end up with. I don't pick right on the tight end I end up with. I don't end up right on any of the running backs. Why would I want to have extra picks? It's essentially to use them when the market resets next January to bail me out again. I now have more bites at the apple, right? Some of my players went from wide receiver twos to wide receiver fours. They went from running back twos to running back threes or running back fours. I have more shots with those picks. That's why I want to bank them. So to answer your question, it makes it a lot tougher. You don't have those first you can rely on. You can get stuck. Now, I do think the pivot trades are still there. They're just not in the form of exactly what I laid out. You know, can you trade a seventh round startup and get a ninth round startup pick and get a second back? Can you get multiple seconds? Is the league just not there in terms of giving you any picks? Like you can't get any picks and trade backs. If that's the case, you're probably in trouble because it basically means you can't create leverage deals anywhere. You're just picking players and you're probably picking just as bad or worse players than a lot of the other teams. So your quarterback's better set up. Your quarterback's better smash. Otherwise, you're not gaining any leverage. So I think that's the biggest thing is you got to find ways to gain leverage. And it's not first round picks, second rounders. Later in the draft, if it's not seconds, it's thirds. If it's not 24 first, 25 first. I don't love getting 25 first, but you know what? You're in a startup. That might be the only thing people are trading. The three or four people willing to trade picks, they may go, nah, I want to hold on to my 24 first. I'm not sure about how my team's going to be. So I want to hold on to that 24. But that 25, yeah, if my team's bad in 24, I'll have a high pick. I should be contending by 25. So I'll give you my 25 pick. And you may not get that big of a discount. I think that's the thing that people shy away from when it comes to the picks two years out. They think they should be getting a big discount on that deal. But no, it might be I give you my fifth round startup pick and I get your 10th and you give me a 25 first. And the process says just take it. The process says take the first. Even though you're looking at it going, man, that's a 25 first. I got to wait a long time from that. But by time you get to your sweet spot, so it's going to be like next off season at this time, I have an extra 25 first. I mean, what are 24 first trading for right now? You can get into the 23 class if you're willing to give up a 24 first, but you still have it. There's a reason that you banked it. Two years ago, you would have gone, man, I don't want to trade for a pick that far out. So it's still a pick. It's still flexible. It still allows you to employ the same type of strategy. Uh, but yeah, it's a good question because it's not perfect. I've been in leagues where I execute the quarterbacks and then I can't get the trade downs. I've been in leagues where I don't get the quarterbacks. And then I still want to try to accrue the value here and you can't get the trade downs. So you just got to be savvy and you can't. One thing that I saw happen in the Patreon chat over in Dynasty and Chill this week, and I'll end this question on this. You can't get greedy. You cannot get greedy in a startup. If, you have, if you've traded away your second, third, and your fourth, and your fifth is 502, and the person at 1011 or 1010, wouldn't be 10 11 because you would have the 11s. But let's say the person at 10 10 is willing to accept it, but you've spammed out the deal for some eights and some nights and you're waiting on them. Don't get greedy. Take the trade. Take the first one that's willing to take the deal that fits your process. Don't wait. Don't go, ah, I'm really waiting for this, this player to get back to me, really waiting to see if this person accepts or that person accepts. 
Because what happens if somebody else does it? What happens if somebody else makes a trade down? And it's even less than what you wanted to give. Or it's a different process. That's the new market. So you don't want to get to that point in a startup where there might be another person that's trying to do a similar thing. Or maybe it's a little bit of a more complex trade, but it still interrupts the league market enough to where now you can't get the deal that you want. So I think that's important in a startup is that's why I have these rules in place to go, okay, I can at least start there. If my room, I can't read it like that, oh well. But I think once you get into that and you understand what you want to try to do, you're not going to be as picky uh, with a lot of those deals. You're just going to take them when they're in front of you because that's the specific process. So let me scroll through here. I had some questions favorited. Uh, oh, Pello posted. Sam posted her question. Let me see if I can find Sam's question here real quick. Saw a couple other super chats come in. Oh, I got you, Sam. All right. Set my super chat without my question. How do you handle shallower benches? Is there a point where you hoard as many running backs with a chance to start a game as possible? Or is there a point where that's not a viable strategy? So that kind of gets back to my question earlier about the FFPC, right? Like when we were talking about shallower leagues and the calculation in terms of what's the value of a roster spot. Uh, to answer your question specifically, you can't hoard as many running backs as possible in a shallower league. So let's give the example of 20-man rosters instead of 30. Your roster construction is going to be different. I think you still want to take the same general approach, but because I know, and if you looked at a chart like one through 30, I actually wrote an article last year on DLF that talked about this. I'll see if I can bring it up, but it essentially went through and it looked at the distribution of, let's say it's one through 30. Where are those positions? So the running backs, the tight ends, the quarterbacks, where are they generally coming from? And for me, if you're talking to any running back on a 53 man roster, a lot of those running backs are coming from the back half of your startup, right? Like round 16 to round 30. So they're the lower valued players. So in a 20 man roster league, what are you going to do? You're going to eliminate 10 of those picks, the back end 10. What does that mean? That probably means that if I'm going to chop and let's say instead of rostering 14 running backs, I've now decided that it says I should roster eight, nine, nine max. Let's call it eight. It's an even number. It makes it a little easier, but the number is now eight instead of 14. So that's six running backs that I'm going to be without. That's going to be six shots that I'm not going to have throughout my year where I could potentially get a spot start, right? And I think that's the biggest thing to take away is what does that mean for the other positions? It probably means that my wide receiver threshold is higher in terms of where the cutoff's going to be. They need to be better. They need to be better quality. The positional advantage at tight end and at quarterback means even more. It means that I actually want to prioritize getting the elite quarterbacks even more. And it also means I probably want to prioritize getting the positional advantage at tight end much more. Because when I have a positional advantage, what do I have to do? I have to roster less players to get to my optimal roster construction. If you have Travis Kelsey in a 20-man roster league, you might roster one backup. That's it. 30-man rosters, 1.5, I'm still probably rostering three tight ends, maybe four. 20-man rosters, only two. Superflex quarterbacks. Sure, if you don't have good quarterbacks, what are you going to probably have to do? Roster five or six of them out of your 20. That's inefficient. You know, you're you're wasting a lot of roster spots just to try to get to like the median of the positional advantage. So you want to prioritize the places where you can slim down the number of players. When you do that, you can roster more running backs. 
you might be able to get to nine or 10 running backs out of 20 man rosters, but it probably means you better be rock solid. I know who I'm starting every single week with all of the other spots. So sure. If you can get six top 36 receivers, if you can get a top five tight end and you can get two elite quarterbacks right there, you have those eight and that's a nice place to start to where it's like, okay, that's only eight out of 20. I can focus the other 12 with mostly running backs. I can probably say I can use 10 running backs instead of eight. And maybe you carry a third quarterback. Maybe you carry a backup tight end. Maybe you carry a seven threshold receiver, but you're flexible. You're not dead in the water if you don't do any of those things. So I think that was the biggest thing is adjusting for the number of roster spots and understanding where you can expand at almost no cost. You know, what is the value of the 11th running back on your roster in a 30 man in 30 man lineup league or a 30 man roster league. Very, very little, very little. All it is is essentially the value of a roster spot. So when you get to shallower, well, the quality of those players that are going to be on the waiver wire are going to be higher. So it actually makes your advantage of rostering with this roster construction less because there's more of those players out there. More people can do it and they don't have to pay as much attention to the specific players that they're getting in that range. So good question, Sam. Thanks for the super chat. Hopefully that helps. Obviously, you can unfold uh, more of this stuff uh, in the Discord. Uh, check out the Discord at patreon.com slash allgas. Uh, we have a lot of content over there, uh, not just the podcast and the YouTube and the Rays Film Room, uh, but just chat. You can ask questions like this, and if you're lucky enough to get one of the Heisman spots, uh, we literally talk about this stuff constantly. During the weekdays especially, we talk about this stuff constantly. So this type of strategy... Uh, and how this would make sense. And it's a lot of times it's actionable because you have leagues where people are actually doing it uh, while they're talking about it. So I had a few more super chats that I want to hit. Uh, two more, and then I'll get going unless I see a couple others in there. Uh, Daily It Up, is that a Big Blue Nation hoodie? Yes, it is. Um, I went to Kentucky. I am a huge Kentucky fan. So yes, I am decked out in my Kentucky gear this evening. So appreciate you. Uh, Taylor had a super chat. Uh, debating tearing back from the 108 to the 110. Uh, two questions. As of now, where does your tier one break before tier two, three? What is that price in picks to do it? So Taylor, I'm assuming you're meaning rookies, uh, but I'm not sure because it was a startup theme. So clarify for me in the chat. Um, I'll table that one until I get an answer from you, but just clarify, is that 108 to 110 in a startup uh, or 108 to 110 in a rookie draft? I'm assuming it's rookie draft, but just let me know uh, so I can answer it before we end the stream. And then I'll get to Vince's question here uh, while we're still going. Vince, uh, part one, 12 team super flex start 10. I fully implemented your startup strategy in a new league, but I broke one of the cardinal rules and I'm curious on your thoughts. And let me get to your second part here, Vince. Give me a second. Uh, part two, after trading down and acquiring a 24 first, I decided to take three firsts and trade back into the first round. Now I own the 104 the 105 and the 107. I still have a fifth plan. Uh, I still have a fifth plan now is two top five part three quarterbacks and Justin Jefferson league scoring is half point PPR for running backs, full PPR for wide receivers. I don't hate it. I will just say this, Vince. I would be tempted to draft three elite quarterbacks. And I know you're probably looking at me with like, I don't know, 
a stink eye because I'm saying draft three elite quarterbacks in the top seven. And part of it is probably because what you just paid, I feel like the one asset I could potentially draft and find myself being able to net more than what you just paid would be a quarterback, especially if I have three top seven picks. And I know that's going to be weird and it's probably going to be hard for you to build a contending team without liquidating one of those quarterbacks. But I'm kind of just sitting here going, man, if I have three of the top seven picks, it's like a league where I already have Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, and Deshaun Watson. Part of it goes back to what I talked about at the beginning of the show. Like, I'm not in a hurry to trade one of those guys. I'm actually liking the value that I have of being able to crowd out the rest of my league. Like, there's only six of the top nine quarterbacks left, and there's 11 other teams that need to fight for them. So it's kind of like, man, I. I want to take a third quarterback, but I get it. I would just say this. I don't know how your league draft is going to go, uh, but if you want to take a guy like Jefferson, you're essentially buying into the fact that he's going to be so good, he can actually eliminate probably the need for as many threshold receivers. He can probably cut you down by one or two because he's so good. So I think that's the major takeaway is if you're going to make a big move like this, even if you did this, two months after the startup draft, right? And you had all these first laying around. You go, I want to trade them. I want to trade those picks away. What would I be looking to trade for? I'd probably be looking to trade for the the player that gives me the most bang for my buck from my roster construction standpoint. And I mean, I hate to say it, but most of the time that's not a wide receiver unless I know exactly what I'm getting at receiver. So if it's Jefferson, sure. Like that's probably one of the few receivers where you go, I can bank on this guy scoring 20 points per game. What I would have rather done is probably not traded three of those first. Maybe just kind of looked at the board and decided, okay, maybe do I want to make a big move and trade two first to go get a positional advantage at tight end or a positional advantage at running back. I would have rather done that rather than pay the three first for Jefferson because now I've forced myself to draft Justin Jefferson over one of the elite quarterbacks. So I'm actually going to be giving a little value to the teams that are after me at that seven spot for the exact reason that you traded for the future first in the first place. So I get it. I'm never here to sway people away from playing the league, how they want to play. Uh, but I'm just giving you an honest view of what I would have done. I probably wouldn't have done a move like that right away. I would have waited until we get closer to the season uh, and maybe use those picks in a different manner, but I'm tempted. I'm tempted to take three elite quarterbacks, but you know what? Have fun. Get the guy you want. If you want to build two elite quarterbacks and Justin Jefferson, and that's your team, go for it. Don't have any issues with that. Uh, Taylor, I didn't see where there was the follow-up to your super chat question in there. So I am going to jot this down. If I missed it in the chat, anybody let me know, but I didn't see a follow-up to Taylor's. So I'm just going to answer it, assuming that it's the uh, 108 to 110 uh, in the rookie draft. If it's a startup, I'm probably just taking the approach that if I'm at the 110, I'm not going to offer a ton to get up into the top nine. Uh, I talked about this last week. I'm just going to kind of bet that maybe there's one mistake. Maybe somebody like Watson or Fields falls to me at the 109 or 110 and just get my quarterback that way. But I'm assuming this is a rookie pick. Uh, Stay tuned for a couple more shows we're going to be doing on Dynasty Trades in 5, Taylor. I don't really see if I have to pick right now. I think the Superflex tier break right now is probably about 107, 106, 107. This is assuming that there's going to be some chalk picks in these drafts. And right now, picking at the 106 is the one spot where I go, okay, 
if I know that I have to pick a wide receiver with that pick, that's where I'm getting a little bit leery of using a 105 or 106 on a receiver. And I say 106 because for me, assuming he gets draft capital, I'm taking Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Bijan Robinson. And it would be hard to argue with taking Jameer Gibbs if he gets high draft capital as well. Uh, simply because of the positional advantage and probably how most of my teams are built, I would prioritize him at 105 before any other receivers. So 106, 107, 108 is that range where it's like, man, I probably am going to have to take a receiver because that's best player on the board. But I don't want to be the first one to pick the receiver. Now, this is February. We haven't even had the combine. We haven't had any sort of draft buzz. We haven't had any draft actual landing spots yet. So this could change. There could be an easy, clear-cut wide receiver one that's going 105 or 106 or earlier, and it's like, what are you talking about? I wish I wouldn't have traded away that pick. My point is that I think at that 108 through 110, you're clearly falling into the range of, I'm not really sure. So I'm okay trading back for almost anything I can get. Might you miss a tier by a pick, and that sucks, yes. But that's the risk that you take when you trade picks right now anyway. If you're trading up or you're trading back, you're usually just using like historical data to say, this is probably a pretty decent bet. I move back from the 108 to the 110 and you give me a 2024 second in a start 11 or a start 12 league. I'll take that all day. Even in a start 10 league, it's extra value that I use towards something else. So good question. Clarify, hit me up, uh, message me here, put comments in this. Uh, once this ends and gets archived on, uh, on YouTube, let me know in here or message me on Twitter, uh, Twitter handle, obviously at Charles chill FFB. Uh, message me with some follow-up on that and uh, just clarify and I'll help you out uh, if I see the follow-up. So thank you for the super chat. Uh, time flies. I apologize. It is much more difficult than I'm used to uh, doing a solo show and monitoring the YouTube and handling the super chats and trying to shuffle through a bunch of data that I'm giving at the same time. It's definitely something I'm working on. I'm going to continue just to do these, you know, every couple weeks or so just to kind of get these reps in and going live on YouTube managing the chat. One thing about dynasty trades in five is a lot of times I don't have to do any of the work. Clay runs the show. He asks all the questions. Shane monitors the chat. Shane picks up all the super chats. I'm usually the one they're like, yeah, you got to have data ready to go. But you know, the majority of the time we went to answering the questions. So I, I definitely appreciate those guys and it's much harder to do it all on your own. So if I miss anything, uh, a bunch of people saying great job in the chat. Thank you for that. Uh, I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep trying to do these, learning on the fly. I appreciate everybody being in here. I mean, I, it's awesome. We had almost 200 uh, eyes on the show for much of the show, and we're still over 100 right now. So as I continue to keep growing on this channel, uh, keep bringing your questions. Let me know what you want. If I missed you tonight, hit me up. Uh, I'll announce where the next stream is uh, and check out everything going on over at Destination Debbie. Uh, at patreon.com slash all gas. Uh, the newsletter, subscribe to that. Uh, literally, the content over there is worth, it's worth paying for, but you get it for free. And I don't say that lightly as somebody that's worked for many, many fantasy sites, seen the content that goes out daily. It's definitely something that's worth, you know, paying for. It'd be worth a subscription and it would be worth somebody's uh, monthly dues. Uh, it is allgas.beehive.com. Uh, dot com backslash subscribe. Check that out. Enter your email and you get content over there once a week. So with that, I will go ahead and sign off. I appreciate everybody again for tuning in. Probably do this again. I want to do one before free agency. So maybe the week before free agency. So that would be, I believe, 
March free agency starts the week of March 13th. So plan on March the 12th. I know that's selection Sunday, uh, but after that, maybe we'll do a quick show, just kind of talking about some stuff that could happen in that upcoming week from a dynasty perspective. So I appreciate everybody. And I'll go ahead and sign off for the evening. Be chill. Only ones I keep around me is my fam. No coincidence, it's always been the best.